0: Scripture reading this morning will be from First Thessalonians, the first chapter, verses five through ten. That can be found in the uh, pew Bible on page one thousand forty-eight. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believed. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out, so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come.
1: Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us this morning, we welcome you again. We're thankful you're here. You being here is an encouragement to us, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. Uh, We're missing many of our teenagers this morning. It just doesn't seem like the same place, does it? But we have about 75 to 100 that are away this morning on a retreat. They've been together all weekend and have had a wonderful, wonderful time together and a wonderful topic of, of being a missionary and encouraging our kids to think about spending their life in the mission field, and definitely spending their life going about teaching the gospel to others. And what a wonderful weekend they've had, and we appreciate the opportunity they've had to do that. A new convert in China said, as he wanted more of his people to be converted, send us red-hot men for Jesus Christ. The idea was to find men that their lives were so enthusiastic, they were so on fire for Jesus. The belief that someone that was more enthusiastic could have a greater impact upon the lives of their community than others. And last Sunday morning we began a series of capturing the heart of the community and we saw that Paul was such a man. He was a man that was enthusiastic and as we remember back to Acts seventeenth chapter, remember that he had a reputation that preceded him, that he was the one that was turning the world upside down. But have you ever thought, what does a heart look like that is enthusiastic about surrendering themselves to God? In other words, it's wonderful to have someone who's enthusiastic about sharing the gospel, but what does a life look like that uh, that is one that is enthusiastic about receiving the gospel, about changing their life, about following Jesus Christ? Let's consider that this morning as we go to First Thessalonians and the first chapter, the text that has been so capably read. We see the reaction of those of Thessalonica when Paul came to them and Silas and when they taught them the truth. And if you'll notice, there was something that they received the Word of God. There was a turn that they made in their life from idols to God. There was something they modeled. It was the example of Jesus Christ that they modeled. And then there was something on which they were focused. They were waiting for the coming of the Lord. Friends, this morning, let's take a careful study into this example of those that were enthusiastic about their hearts being captured for God. They were enthusiastic about surrendering their life to God And let's make sure that we all leave here this morning being of the same mindset, of the same mold. Notice, if you will, as we look at verse 6 there again. In the middle of the verse, he says, "...having received the word in much affliction..." with joy of the Holy Spirit. Let's go back to Acts, the 17th chapter, and let's give a quick review of how they did receive the Word. We'll do this quickly because we spent quite a bit of time on this first part last week. But do you remember in verse 2 and 3 of Acts, the 17th chapter, when Paul said, As his custom was, he went into them, and three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that Christ had to suffer and rise again the third day, saying, Or guys, again, from the dead and saying, This Jesus whom I preached to you is the Christ. He took to them the Scriptures. Now notice this phrase out of our text in 1 Thessalonians. It says, They received the Word in much affliction with joy. And so now Paul is saying here, or he says to them, as Luke records it, he says, Look how they received it. He says, I came to them and I reasoned. Remember, we talked about that being that He discussed it thoroughly. But then He opened, He explained, He opened the Scriptures as He discussed it thoroughly. And then we see that He demonstrated it. In other words, He could use from the Old Testament and see how it was fulfilled by Jesus Christ and that New Testament. But also how it was demonstrated in the lives of the believers. In other words, does your life demonstrate the Scriptures? Could someone say, I just don't know what a Christian would look like? And they could point to you. That right there, that's, just watch how they live with their family. Watch how they interact with the, the people in their community. Look how they act at work. That's a demonstration of someone who's received the Word of God. Well, as you probably remember, some were persuaded there in Thessalonica. Others were not, and they grew into a rage, creating a riot. A mob, if you will. And they drug out the people of Jason's household. And that was because they couldn't find Paul and Silas. And they accused that these are the ones that have turned the world upside down. Well, it was because of that in verse 10 here in this same chapter of Acts 17. They were sent out by nighttime under the the darkness, if you will. They were sent out of town as to spare the life of Paul. You see, that's why he said they received the word in much affliction. Would you receive the word? If you knew that you went back to your house and it would be ransacked and that there would be people there ready to rough you up, bring you before officials, would you still receive the word? Well, notice how else they received the word as they went into those of Berea. No, it's how these individuals. Let's read verse 11 of Acts 17. These were more fair minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness. And search the Scriptures daily to find out whether these things are so. How powerful is it to receive the Word? Friends, it makes all the difference in salvation and destruction. If you look in the Scriptures, you'll see that individuals can't surrender their heart to God unless they're willing to receive the Word. In other words, it's this simple. You cannot be saved if you will not receive the Word. That's why, for example, in Acts, the second chapter, we see those individuals that heard the sermon that Jesus Christ was, was uh, the Messiah and that He was resurrected and that He's coming again. And they said, they didn't know what to do. They said, what shall we do? And they told them to repent and be baptized. Now, who was baptized? In verse 41, it tells us, those that gladly received the Word were baptized, and about 3,000 souls were added to them. Friends, you won't find anyone in the Scriptures that was saved unless they received the Word. Now, sometimes we just find it within ourselves a, a way to say, well, I was at the right place at the right time. It, it must be okay. In other words, I showed up to Bible class. I showed up to worship. It must be okay. Surely I'm a recipient of the Word. Well, now what did these individuals do? They didn't believe that just showing up was enough. The text we just read, they came with a readiness. It's the idea of a readiness of mind. They came ready to receive something. And then not only did they receive it, but they engulfed it, as the brother prayed this morning, that the word would be taken to our heart. They were willing to take it to their heart, and then the word here says they search the scriptures daily. They received it and they went back to their houses. And that's a very strong word for search. When you go back to the original text there, it's the idea that to interrogate, to investigate, to examine. In other words, they heard the Scriptures talk and they went back on a daily basis and they interrogated the Scriptures, if you will. They went in and examined the Scriptures. They were going to make sure that what they heard preached was truly the Word of God. Imagine with me, if you will. Quarterback is on the line. He takes the ball. His receiver goes down, cuts in ten, just like the play has been drawn up. He makes the pass and it hits right on time. Hits the receiver in the numbers. Deflects off his numbers and receiver claps. How's <laughs> that? The right place, at the right time. He goes back to the huddle. Wasn't that awesome? Do you see that? You drew the play up. You said get there. I was there. Isn't that great? Are you crazy? You're supposed to receive the ball. Oh, I did. I dressed up in my... You fool, look at my pads. I got up early on Sunday morning. I set my alarm. I sat in the right seats. I was at the right place. I've done everything I'm supposed to do. Okay, let's run this play one more time. Down, 10, and in. Receive the ball this time. Same play again. Cuts in. Quarterback hits him right in the numbers. Ball falls to the ground again. Wasn't that awesome? you see that? I was at the right place again. How long is he going to stay on the team? Probably not another down. That's probably it because it's pretty dumb, isn't it? It's pretty dumb to think that you're a receiver just because you showed up at the right place at the right time. Do you see the emphasis in the Scriptures of receiving the Word? It's not the idea that I'm just going to show up at a place where some people around me sit and worship. I'm going to show up in a Bible class where some of the people sit around me and really learn the Word of God. Scripture places the emphasis on changed lives coming from individuals that says, I'm willing to receive the Word of God and I'm willing to go back and on a daily basis I'm willing to study that Word. Friends, there's no wonder that Satan works so much against us. He works with all of his might to keep us out of the Scriptures and the Scriptures out of our heart. Do you realize that if you're here this morning with no intentions of really studying the Bible, Satan is grinning, he's rubbing his hands and he's saying, I don't have to worry about that one. I've got them. Do you realize if we're raising our children and we have no serious intentions on them, not just being at the right place when the quarterback throws, but we have serious intentions of them learning the Scriptures. If we don't have that serious intention, Satan is just rubbing his hands. He said, man, I've got another generation there. Look, that family, their mom and dad may be faithful. Their kids aren't going to be probably because they don't have a foundation under them. They've never received the Word. They've been in a lot of plays, and they've been at the right places a lot of time. They've even dressed up the right way, but it's not going to work because they haven't received the Word. Look with me, if you will. Two texts. We won't take time to develop them heavily, but I just want you to see the power of the Scriptures and how Satan can work against that if he can keep it out of our heart. 1 Peter, the first chapter. 1 Peter, the first chapter. If you'll notice in verse 22, the power of the Scriptures. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth. What's the truth? The truth is recorded in the Word of God. How is it that their soul was purified? Obeying the truth. Let's skip down now to 23. Having been born again, not of the corruptible seed, but the Incorruptible through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. What is it that that redeems us? Someone said it's the blood of Jesus. Absolutely, it is. How do we learn of the blood of Jesus? How do we learn to submit to the blood of Jesus? Through the Word. That's why He equates salvation here to whether or not someone is willing to accept, willing to receive the Word of God into their lives. Friends, I'm not saying the Word of God takes the place of the blood of Christ. I'm simply saying to you what the Scriptures teach us. We can't know the way of the blood of Christ. We can't know the way of redemption if we do not know the truth. We cannot know even what sin is, or how it ought to be avoided. Look with me, if you will, one more passage in Psalms 119 as we think about this point. Psalms 119, you'll see a lengthy reading on your screen. It's 9 through 16. I want you to just scan with me three verses here. All of this is about the Word and about receiving the Word, but we don't have time to develop. But note this in verse 9. How can a young man cleanse his ways? Well, whatever the answer is, Satan just says, I keep that out of his life, and a person can't cleanse their ways. Okay, what is it? By taking heed according to your word. Let's just encourage people not to take heed to the word of God, Satan says. And I don't have to worry about anyone being saved. Let's give down and read verse 11. Your word I have hidden in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. Isn't that a beautiful thought? That the word of God, hidden in our heart, we can conquer sin. Because of the power that God gives us to do so. You take that out, and we cannot conquer sin. Notice how he closes this paragraph in 16. I will not forget your word. Why? Because he wanted to receive the word. He wanted to live for the Lord. He wanted his life to be different. That brings us to our second point. Notice in our text as we go back to 1 Thessalonians, the first chapter. Our second point is not only did they receive the Word, but when we read in verse 9, they made a turn in their life. They turned to God. Notice, if you will, as we read verse 9 together. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you. And hopefully next week we'll be looking at that. What manner of entry did they have? In other words, how did Paul go into that? town and make such a difference. We looked at part of it out of Acts 17. We'll look at the rest of it out of 1 Thessalonians 2 next week. But now let's notice what they did and how you turned. Paul's talking to those of Thessalonica. How you turned, notice the word turned. You turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God. Oftentimes, we call this repentance. That's what the word repentance means, is to turn. It means to change. When I ask individuals, what does it mean to repent? When I'm studying one-on-one, almost every time, they'll say it's to ask for forgiveness. That's not right. We repent because we do want our sins forgiven, but forgiveness of sins is what God offers us. The question of repentance is what's our action? What is it that we must do? One of the things we must do is we must turn our lives around. In other words, it's a change. You remember that they said Paul was turning the world upside down? That's what repentance is. It's a 180 degree turn. It's turning things around. Let's notice how this is defined in Acts the 26th chapter. In Acts the 26th chapter in verse 18 beginning, this is where Paul uses the word turn as it relates to repentance when he describes his ministry to King Agrippa. Notice the word turn as we read this. To open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Now he says to Agrippa in 19, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Notice how he describes at the end of verse 20. But declared first to those in Damascus and Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent, turn to God, and do the works befitting repentance. Paul, what do you mean turn? He says, I'm talking about repenting. Stop serving Satan and serve God. Stop living in darkness and live in light. Go to where now you can have an inheritance. He says, turn to God and then continue doing that. Live the life that proves your repentance. Now when we think about these individuals were asked or were commended in 1 Thessalonians 1 because they had turned to God. Notice, they turned to God from idols. Can you imagine the difference to turn from idols to the true and the living God. And Isaiah, the 46th chapter, and we're not going to strongly develop this particular paragraph either, but if you want to scan over some of that right there, Isaiah, the 46th chapter, verse 5 through 7. I want to just talk to you to give us all a reminder. We probably haven't been in a culture lately where idolatry was such a heavy part of the culture. And I know someone sitting here saying, Oh, materialism is our idol. It is. But I'm saying where people literally built a statue and they fell down and they, they worship. Now think about this for just a moment. He, in verse 5, is saying, Okay, who are you going to make me like? Are you going to compare me to an idol? And then he starts giving things to look at. In other words, what's your is going to be? He says in 6, somebody's going to have to dig deep in their pocket and buy some gold. Somebody's going to have to buy some silver. Oh, well, just because we have gold and silver, we still don't have a god. Well, now we're going to have to find a goldsmith that can make that god for us. And when he makes it, then we'll bow down and we'll worship. We'll adore that god. But then what if you decide you want to go somewhere? Don't you want your God to go with you? He says in 7, well, somebody's going to have to bear it. Somebody's going to have to put it on the shoulder and carry it. And then whenever you get to wherever you want, hey, where do you want your God to be today? Well, let's set God here while we're living in this particular town. That's our God there. Now, here's the question. Can He move Himself? Absolutely not. Well, can you ask your God for something? Go ahead and ask. He won't answer. He can't even save you from the smallest troubles. He closes verse 7. Much less save your soul. So can you imagine the teaching that's taking place here as Paul has worked with these individuals to say, look at your God. Your God is wholly dependent upon you. You had to have your God made. You have to move your God about. And if your God has any doctrine, you have to be the one that writes the doctrine. And then Paul had taught them about the true and the living God. The God that created us, not we created that God. The God that is everywhere. And it doesn't matter where we go. We don't have to take our God with us. He goes with us. Now we can look at many passages. I want us to look at this next screen. And I want you to notice there's going to be four references there on that next screen. Notice these, like out of Romans 9 and 26. We are to be, and this is a quote out of Hosea, sons of the living God. Second Corinthians 6 and 16 that we are to be the temple of the living God. 1 Timothy 3, that we are to be the church of the living God. Hebrews 12 and 22, we're looking for that city. Not a city that we built, a city that our God built because He is a living God. You see the emphasis all throughout the Scriptures? It's important we understand that emphasis because we are being asked not to turn our lives to something powerless. We're being asked to turn our lives to the most awesome power that has ever existed. A God that loves us. A God that will protect us. And a God will give us an eternity that is beyond our imagination. Let's go back to our text and we see not only did they receive the Word, also they turned to God. But notice this third point. And this third point is very powerful. Look as we read verse 7 again. So that you became models or you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believed. This word here, for example, this word that can also, and is translated also, uh, model. That's an interesting thought. You see, they received the Word of God. It didn't deflect off of them. They took it to heart. They turned their life around by following that. But now here's the question. What did they do day in and day out? They lived their life in such a way that Paul was able to write to them now at this point and say, look, all of Macedonia, all of Achaia has been affected by the way you have modeled Christianity. Now, on the screen you'll see the definition of of this to model from the original language. It's the idea of... A die, as it it is being struck, or a stamp. As we skip down, it's the idea of a statue, it's the idea of a model, it's the idea of an example, a fashion, a figure, a form, manner, pattern, print. When we see this word in the original language used so many times, it's interesting how many times a different English word is used to translate this word. I want us to simply look at a few passages, and we're simply going to scan these. I, we won't take the time to read them in this entirety or, or look them up, but I just want you to see these just so we can better understand the Word. In other words, what is meant when He says that you have been an example? What is the fullness of that Word? When we look in John, the 20th chapter, verse 25, where Thomas needed a little more proof that Jesus really was alive, when He said, I want to see the prints in His hand, what's He saying by print? He's saying that if a nail has gone through his hand, I ought to be able to see that in his hand. I ought to be able to see that print. Or if we go to Acts, the seventh chapter, as Stephen is uh, recalling the fact that Moses, he built the tabernacle, but he says that it was according to the pattern that he had seen. Do you remember that God even told how many loops were to be in the curtains? He told exactly what color they were to be and what size. Everything about the tabernacle, God gave an exact pattern of how it ought to be. That's the same word as example that's used here of believers. When we go to Romans, the sixth chapter, he talks about the teaching that saves us, and he calls it that form of doctrine. That form. In other words, right now, if I ask you, if if everybody took out a blank piece of paper and I said, just record some information about yourself. Can you imagine the random things we would get if everybody was just ask a blank sheet and give us some information? Now, what if there was a set form with ten questions and we pass that out, everybody complete this form? Well, it would be quite different because there would be a form to follow. The Lord doesn't arbitrarily save. Oh, well, these people, they can just cry out a sinner's prayer. Oh, these people can just be sprinkled. These people can just invite the Lord into their heart. These people can just be anointed. These people can just be slain in the Spirit. It doesn't matter. Oh, yes, it does matter. The Lord says, I saved by a form of doctrine. I've given you the exact information of how to be saved. Who were these people at Thessalonica? They were people that were a pattern. They were a form of the doctrine that had been taught. You could look to them and say... How'd you become a Christian? They can show you. They've heard it. They received it. They've changed their life exactly how God wanted it to be changed. In First Timothy, the fourth chapter, remember youth are to be an example. There to be that pattern, that form to all believers. In 1 Peter 5, if you'll remember, that's where the elders are being spoken to. And they're not to lord over, but they are to be an example. And we go back in our Bibles a little bit to Titus the second chapter. And if you remember there in Titus the second chapter, he's speaking to the young men. And that they are to have a pattern of good works. In other words, they, you can see that pattern in their life where they follow Christianity. Friends, it is a huge compliment that Paul pays to them when he says, Your life is a model. It is an example that has been spread throughout Achaia and Macedonia. Notice as we read verse 8 how that has been cast even further, uh, in at least greater detail, if you will, in verse 8. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth. Not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. We sing the song, Ring Out the Message. That's where this, that's the exact phrase. That's where this comes from. From you, the Word of God has rung out. From you, the Word of God has, has been delivered. But not only the Word of God has been delivered from you, but also your faith. Your faith, your example is having an impact on everyone. Now, the faith there is that one faith that is spoken about in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, in verse five one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. And that one faith is what we develop whenever we follow the Scriptures. You see, they received the Word, they changed their life. You can say, What faith are you? I'm of the faith of Jesus Christ. That has been wrung out throughout the land the spreading of the Word of God. Now, let's extend the invitation by looking at verse 10. You see, not only did they do this day in and day out, but they did that with a focus in mind. Look back at verse 10. And to wait. Notice that phrase. To wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus Christ, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Paul's commending them here. In other words, whatever this weight is, it's a very positive thing. He's saying, I'm so impressed the way you received the the Word of God. I'm so impressed the way you've turned from idols to God. I'm so impressed the way you've modeled the, the life of Jesus Christ. And I'm so impressed that you're waiting on the coming of Jesus. Now, this might have been misunderstood even by the readers of this day because in 2 Thessalonians... He writes because some of them had literally sat down and started twiddling their thumbs and waiting, doing nothing. And so that's where He tells them if a man wouldn't eat, if a man wouldn't work, neither should he eat. He tells them to get up, stop being busybodies, and get back to work, get about your life. In other words, the waiting here doesn't mean that you do nothing. The waiting is that you are prepared when the appointment arrives. Now, I I want to give you... um, just kind of like a made-up illustration, because I'll have to give you some details, because none of you have ever been in this scenario. Uh, but if you'll just really try to imagine this, you, you can imagine this happening if, if you've ever, well, the husband gets ready. They're going to leave it 15 to 9. The husband gets ready. He looks around, 15-9. The wife's not ready. So he says, well, if I'm going to wait, I'll at least shine my shoes. Sits down in the living room, shines shoes. Wife passes through and she thinks to herself, he's not ready again. He's shining his shoes. I'll just go back here. And she starts doing something. Finally, it's like five till. And one of them says, if you don't hurry, we're going to be late. And the other says, hurry, I've been waiting on you. Oh, no, you haven't. You weren't waiting on me. Yes, I was waiting on you. I was ready at a quarter till. No, you weren't. You were shining your shoes. I've been waiting on you. Oh, I've been ready the whole time. I was just back here in the bedroom doing whatever women do. I don't know. And, uh, and, so, and, and so you know what's happening. And neither one of them wants to admit, I wasn't ready when the time came. You weren't waiting on me. I was waiting on you. Because when the appointed time came, I was ready. That is exactly, exactly what they're being praised for here. He's saying, that appointed time is out in the future. And he tells them over in the fifth chapter, it's like a thief in the night. We don't know when it is. But whenever that appointed time comes, he says, it's wonderful because you're waiting. You're ready for it. You've done everything that you need to do to prepare for this, and you're ready. It's appointed that a man wants to die. We'll talk about that tonight. And after this, the judgment. And isn't that a beautiful thought? He says, that judgment is it's an appointed time. Your death is an appointed time. And you know what? You're waiting on it. You're ready for that time. Lord, if it's today, I'm ready. If it's right now, I'm ready, Lord. Lord. Now, if you want to wait a few years, Lord, wait a few days, wait a few weeks, I'll just stay busy. I'll continue receiving the Word. I'll continue making changes in my life to draw closer to You, God. I'll continue to model Christianity, and I'm just going to continue waiting on that day, this morning. Are you waiting? Or if the Lord came right now, you'd be tempted to say, Give me five minutes, God. That's why it's like a thief in the night. There's no five minutes. There's no, Lord, if you could just give me a half a day, I I could get things right. This morning, let's get things right now. Let's wait. It's a good wait. It's a wait that brings peace into our life. If you've never been baptized into Christ for the remission of sins, won't you do that this morning if you need to? If you have been baptized in a Christ and somewhere along the way you 've let something distract you from your weight you 're no longer prepared won't you repent of sins and confess them and let 's pray forgiveness for you?